You're listening to Members of the Jury, the show that takes you straight into the trenches of justice, where the passion, players, and consequences are real. Each episode, we examine current events happening in the system. From the battles in courtrooms to the streets demanding reform, we bring those stories here to you, the members of the jury, because we aren't afraid to take it to the box. What's up, members of the jury? Happy Freedom Friday. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope everybody is having a great and fabulous day. Today is going to be an amazing episode where me and my guests are going to break down some criminal justice reform, elements of prison reform, and really highlight ways from, a, a, I think, a very unique perspective on what the problems are and the issues and how they can actually be reformed to lead to a better, fair, and just system, which I think is the goal. And the biggest way to achieve that goal is to spread awareness, to become part of a community, to share in ideas, and to rally together. And today, my guest is a advocate who is doing just that. He's building communities, he's spreading awareness, and he's delivering messages on how to achieve reform. So joining me today is David Abraham. David, please introduce yourself to the members of the jury. Hello, members of the jury. I'm uh, David Abraham. I'm, at the beginning of this year, I started a, a blog site. It was specifically to kind of get awareness around issues in prison. The idea of the, um, the blog site was to um, allow men and women in prison to voice not concerns so much as I really just wanted to show a humane side of men and women in prison and show that uh, they're not someone that has just been locked up and that we have thrown away as a society, but rather that they are people and they still, they still deal with life just like everyone else does. And uh, just kind of letting them share their stories of hope, letting them share their stories of resilience, uh, just different things of the stories that they have uh, accumulated on the inside. So the, the reason that I got into that is because, you know, I was locked up for 10 years myself. And I also have a nephew that is locked up with a life sentence. And um, so it, it, it weighs heavy on my heart to, to really see that the system is, is ran correctly. I think that really resonates with individuals as to how they could become involved in the system and become an advocate for. I, I feel like in my experience, the criminal justice specifically is one of those arenas or areas of society where unless you do have some aspect of personal experience and involvement in, you don't really know a lot of the ins and outs about it um, or the problems that exist. And it's kind of like an out of sight, out of mind type of thing. And given what I do as a public defender, I'm you know, in the trenches of justice. And I see that time and time again. And so it was really important to me that I was able to connect. I had an opportunity to visit your blog and, and I felt that it was such a, a great platform of ways for individuals to do exactly what you are seeking to do, which is bring more of a humanity-based 
recognition to those men and women who are currently incarcerated. It's going to be attached in the show notes. The The name or the, the website for the blog is uh, www.southeastprisonadvocate.com. And I really encourage everyone to go check it out. There's so many different blog posts um, from various individuals on various topics for the needs of areas of reform. And and so, David, I just wanted to pick your brain and and see, like, has the community grown to your surprise? Were you have you been shocked by the uh, amount of people that you've been able to reach? Yeah, I mean, well, that's that's been a journey in itself is is learning that aspect of things, learning the online and learning how to uh, get people driven to the site and all those things. Uh, but some of some of the articles go over really well. Uh, I mean, you know, there's there's some of them that have had seven, close to 800 views. And then there's some that, you know, might get 30 views. So it's just, and I'm not sure of the exact formula. I'm not, I, I still haven't figured out the exact formula for how that works. But, but yeah, it's, it's cool to get a response. And, um, you know, people are able to join the, the website. Like they're able to join as a member. So when we put out new articles, they'll get emails or whatever. So, um, so yeah, it's been, it's been cool. And just to, just to hear people's feedback and, um, and not only did we create a, a website, I forgot to mention this earlier, but, but we also mailed these, we, we've actually made a mail list, uh, for these articles to go to men and women in prison. And, um, so, so what we do is we make a newsletter every month and, uh, and, um, we send out one of our articles and we send it all over the, all over the country. And as our mail list grows, we just keep, you know, we keep growing that mail list and, and send it to, to more guys. And then, you know, then in turn, they want to write in and stuff like that. So yeah, the community has, has grown a lot and, you know, it, it at times it's hard to get people involved like I want them or whatever, but you know, it's growing. It's, it's all a learning process. So yeah, I've been happy with the growth. One of the interesting things that you had mentioned which is kind of the difference. They're all part of the same community, but there's literally a difference between those who are incarcerated and those who are not. And how have, how have you found that this blog site and these newsletters have allowed for those two communities to be more interactive? And has that, do you think, allowed for your message to humanize these individuals more has been successful? Well, really, that's that's kind of something that I would like there to be more of. Uh, it's so so far, it's been really easy to find the 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 group of individuals that have been affected by incarceration. So, like when I say affected by incarceration, I don't just mean people that have been incarcerated, but also those that have had family members incarcerated, or you know have some connection to someone that's been incarcerated. So, like it's easy to find those those groups of people um, with you know, with the site and with the, with the, um, you know, with the articles and stuff. But what I've really been looking for is the other side. Like when I, I want to really hear from the people that would, you know, I want to hear the tough on crime outlook too. And I'm not sure exactly how to breach that threshold and to find that audience because it's been easy to find the audience of the, the incarcerated or the, those that have been affected by incarceration. I was going to say, that was something I was wondering too, is if you've had, any pushback and, and, you know, to piggyback off of the, you know, law and order 
community that you're speaking to, like kind of a stigma of them that once an individual is deemed a criminal and are incarcerated, they do see them as like second class citizens. And, and so, you know, how, how do you think you, you, you breach that defense mechanism of, of thinking individuals who have some type of conviction are less than to, to show them that, you know, people are more than their worst moment. Well, my, my main thing with that is, is, um, proximity. So proximity is the key to all fear. So like if, if, if someone thinks that, that these people are bad just because they're in prison and they are, they they did something bad. So they're in prison, but they're not bad because they're in prison. If that makes any sense. Um, but what I'm saying about that is, is that if, if, if the, if the law and order people had an opportunity to sit side by side or to have a conversation with the individuals that are incarcerated, then I think it would make all the difference. So really to me, it's, it's about creating relationships and dialogue um, with with people from both sides of the, of the fence, if that makes sense. To to um, to just because before there's conflict, we don't know what the problems are. We don't know where the heart issues are. We don't know how to address the problems if if nobody's talking about the problem. So it's it's very important that proximity happens. That people come in contact and that they start talking about these things and and figuring out you have you have these different committees. You got the uh, penology committees and stuff of different you know different states but those the people on those committees rarely come into the prisons so it's just it's hard for people on the outside to see in it's like there's an iron curtain around prisons and that's what we're trying to break through i think that's a great segue too because i know one of the things that i had seen as a reoccurring theme in some of the blog posts and and various comments was the need for essentially, like you were alluding to, the outside oversight, because where it seems to be some of the law and order community stops with that type of thinking is is at the door of, you know, sheriffs and correctional officers, because time and time again, we don't want to see them held accountable for when they are acting unlawfully and treating those who they are in the care and custody of, who they have the care and custody of um, with violations of their rights. How do you think having outside oversight of prisons and just policing communities could have a positive reform? That it's, it's vital that... Um, I was actually listening to one of your episodes earlier and uh, the doctor, uh, one, one, I forget, he was a doctor of psychology, but he was speaking about how body cams uh, hold, you know, police officers accountable. And um, so a lot of times within the prison systems, it's just like, um, you know, it's like anything goes because nobody's watching. So a lot of times, uh, if there was more accountability, if there was more, if there was more transparency, then I think things would run a lot better because, um, just, it, it's just currently not that way. And, and like, if you don't mind, I, I have a few statistics to share just kind of, uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, kind of facing in this direction. And, um, so 
just from a quick, you know, research, I just did some little online research and um, it said that the U.S. is the home to 4% of the world's population. And yet the land of the free and the home of the brave holds 16% of the world's incarcerated population. And there's no country that stands close to us in how many people are incarcerated. And so the question to me becomes who's paying for all this, who or who pays for all of this? And um the the answer to that question is that it's an $80, an $80 billion per year burden on the taxpayers. And so, and then that opens up another question is, is are we getting what we pay for? So when you think about, you know, they're usually in most states it's called the Department of Corrections. And if you think about the different departments that we have in different states, in some states you have, or I mean, in most states you have the Department of Education, Agriculture, Transportation, Commerce, these different departments of, uh, so we know the Department of Education, uh, the product of the education system is to give our kids a better education. The product of the Agriculture Department is to make sure our food is in order, uh, transportation to make sure our roads are in order. So what is the product of the Department of Corrections is to release prisoners back to society better than they were is is what I would say is to rehabilitate. And there are some efforts in some states. I won't say that there's not efforts to do that, but I don't think it's enough. And um, so, I mean, I, I could sit here and, and run off facts, but it's it's. If if you t if you were to take time to actually look at different things, so like I think I think the main place when when we were talking about proximity earlier, I think the the main way to get close to prisons currently is by going to the current Department of Corrections. Uh, they most of them have Twitter sites, and you can go on the DOC websites for most states, and then most states have a inmate like. Uh, or like a family support group on Facebook. Like if you're in New York, you just put inmate support New York or inmate support California. And if you type that in on Facebook, you usually find a support group. And so what you'll get is when you look on the, the DOC websites and the Twitter accounts for the DOCs, and then you compare it to the, the inmate support groups, you can see the contrast in, in the, what the DOCs are advertising compared to what the the people, the product of those places are are, are producing. As in as in the prisons are underrepresenting how many people are actually being incarcerated in the facilities? No, I'm I'm just saying as as the like so so if you look at like when you go on these sites, you'll see their mission statements. And if you see their mission statements, most of the time it talks about rehabilitation, talks about uh, public safety and rehabilitation are the two top ones that they'll always usually say. Uh, right. So, so if you think in those in, in order of rehabilitation and public safety, so if let's say someone has like myself, you had ten years in prison, and um, so you come into a high level prison with ten years or ten or fifteen years. And then so if you if if you come into prison and you're traumatized or if you become a hardened criminal, if there's nothing there to to make you a, a better or to help you strengthen yourself while you're there and you get out, you're going to be, you know, like like we said earlier, second class citizens 
unable to get a job. Uh, you know, uh, it's hard to get housing. There's there's all kind of things that it, it puts you in this stigmatized class of people. And then, um, so like, so it, it's the product of prison is this person that's coming out with all these problems rather than someone coming out strengthened and better uh, because these the same law and order uh, people that that you know the the you know the strict like they did their crime let them do their time like I understand that but at the same time these same people are going to be in your neighborhoods they're going to be at Walmart with you they're going to stop at the same grocery stores and gas stations. Well, and that's also, I think, a, a aspect of a farce too, because it's not do the crime, do the time, because there's so many collateral consequences to convictions that are then burdening those who have them even after they do the time. And, and so, if it was just do the crime, do the time, I, I think that there would be that that would be a step in the right direction. But it's these. Uh, oversights of probation or other aspects of supervision that allow for non non crimes to still be violations, and then uh, you know uh, a violation could then re- result in their reincarceration. And to me, it, it it amounts to a revolving door. And so I thought that that was a that was a good point. You know, one of the other articles that caught my attention, and I think you kind of. I think it's encompassed in this idea that although these prisons proclaim that their mission is to rehabilitate the the individuals who are incarcerated there and so that they then don't have high rates of recidivism and can be productive members in the society is that that doesn't actually occur. And one of the argument one of the articles is titled prison is not like hell it is. Can you give the members of the jury an insight as to like a summary of that article and really what led to the events of it having that being posted? That actually, that article was actually written by um, a lady in Michigan, and um, she, uh, her, her argument is that her husband was um, is is was innocent of his crime, and so she has been fighting like tooth and nail. Um, from the beginning, all you know, she thought that he was going to go in, and you know they were going to clear everything up, and he was going to come back home. And um, she has taken upon herself; she has gotten uh, a degree, and I think she's a paralegal now. Um, she started her own blog site. She's done all of these things to to you know try to get her husband out of the situation that he's in. I'm not exactly sure how much time he ended up with, but um. But yeah, she fights tooth and nail. And so what she has learned is a lot of these things that I'm talking about is is like like specifically when you call when you call to the prisons and you want to check on your loved one or whatever is you, you get met with with hostility or rudeness uh, when you when you're when you're dealing with uh, prosecutors and 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 um, different things going. I mean, it, it, if they're able to to use their authority to just trump you know, any, any kind of reason or, or, um, whatever. So that's what she's been going through. And she's watched her husband go through this. And I think while he's been incarcerated, he has had, he's had health issues with his ears. So that's, uh, 
the majority of what she is talking about is the the things that he has experienced while he's been incarcerated and while she's been trying to fight to get him out. And um, and there's two states that I like to pick on a lot about their prisons, and that's uh, Alabama and Georgia. Um, from all the research that I do, and you know, different incarcerated people that I talk to, um, so. Georgia and Alabama are probably the roughest environments. And if there is a hell on earth, I'm pretty sure it's either Alabama or Georgia prison. And I, and I, what I was getting from that too is, especially for someone, I mean, a lot of the times you're, I've, I've, we've talked about the stats before on the show is that a, a good portion of those, especially in, in state facilities are their pre-trial. And so they haven't even had, a conviction yet, but they're still subject to the same type of conditions that individuals who have been convicted in. And I know that you pointed out Georgia. I know that there was there was some national attention that had uh, happened on the Georgia prisons because one, they were featured on the show Sixty Days In, where I think it was unbeknownst to the production, they they just objectively showed mold and lack of just basic hygiene functions at that facility and then there was mold and leakage and that's also when we go back to don't do the crime if you don't want to do the time it's like okay what kind of time are we talking about well like if it was just there was a if there was a level of humanity to the time then okay we can have that conversation but nobody regardless of a conviction should have to do time even after a conviction in in certain inhumane conditions i mean i really think and surprised that there aren't more eighth amendment like arguments there as far as being cruel and unusual i think that that it's because it's so much often attached to like death penalty modalities and and ways in which executions apply that it it can't dare to be looked at just as far as like oh well it's it, it could be a violation when you're putting in these facilities that aren't up to par how do you think do you think gaining enough attention and awareness actually has a chance of creating you know better standards for these facilities well i guess that's kind of to be determined you know i mean it, it's it's just it's almost to me if you you almost have to have to ignore it. You have to like, you can't look at it and say it's humane. You, it's impossible. Um, and, and just to kind of drive that point home, um, there's a, there's a site, there's a site on, on Facebook. Um, it's called civil rights coalition of Georgia or no human and civil rights coalition of Georgia. And you can look at their site and they have all kind of footage from the inside of Georgia. And um, so if you look, if you look on that site, because that gives you the inside view. And then you look at the uh, Georgia Department of Corrections uh, Twitter account. And then I'm going to read Georgia's uh, mission statement to you it says to protect Georgians by operating secure facilities and providing opportunities for offender rehabilitation. Now, if you look at these three different sites, I'll tell you about the the, the uh, Human Rights Coalition, uh, Twitter, and then and then the uh, the DOC website. You will see the difference in what they're telling you is happening and what's actually happening. And then 
if you read the comments from the family members, the family members are are appalled. They're scared to death. They don't know. Uh, I mean, they're, they're showing. I mean, there's I mean, this is this is it's, it's, these are very graphic um, uh, scenes of violence, you know, just all kind of craziness going on. I, I mean, I, I don't even like to say it because it's so graphic and violent. But so a lot of times the, the videos are, are maybe you can't really tell who's who or what's what. And so family members are like, hey, my son's at that prison. Like, you know, can somebody please check on my son? So it's just if you can look at those things, if you can see the reality of the situation and ignore it, I I just I don't understand how anyone could do that. You know, so it, it just it takes once again, it takes proximity. If you're if 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 you're not willing to to get close to the close enough to the problem to see it, I don't think it can change. But if we it, but if we find people that are willing to to say, hey, I want to look and see, I want to see if this exists. I want to see if what they're talking about is real, or if they're just talking. And um, and I, I think that's that's the key is that is that people need to start looking and they have to open their eyes and see that that uh, this isn't just something that people are saying. It's it's overwhelming. The evidence is overwhelming. It's, and it's not just in Georgia. It's not just in Alabama. It's not just in the southern states. It's all over the country. It's everywhere. You know, uh, the I think one of the biggest problems that uh, prisons have are are staffing problems. So they they're uh, most of them are understaffed. So when you have no law, places become lawless. And the, the kind of the way I think of that is the you know, we we had this concept of the wild, wild west and the wild, wild west. There was one sheriff. So you could get away with a lot because there was very little law. And in prisons, a lot of times it's the same way when they're understaffed. The staff can't go against what's going on. So they just have to take their hands off. And um, so you just left with a lawless environment. And it's and it's and it's toxic because um, because of the, the facilities are are boiled down to uh, warehouses because a lot of the facilities you can look at them and see that uh, you know rec fields aren't open anymore it's mostly lockdown like there's a lot of things that are that that you think of in prison weight yards and you know push-up uh, contests or whatever like you know people working out and people everybody on the yard those things are are really rare those are Things that are are seen as as almost as privileges now, uh, resources anymore because they've been uh, stigmatized from them, or those things have been taken away or done away with. Let me ask you, David, what's the been the biggest benefit you've either seen or felt by being able to bring incarcerated individuals and their families together via your blog site? by hosting these various Facebook groups with the hundreds and thousands of members. It, have you been able to see any practical levels of change or has it really just been providing like an emotional level of support for those currently dealing with incarceration themselves or of a family member? I think, I think the, the, the thing that, that I love the most is, is getting letters from the inside and, um, the one of the most recent letters I got was from a guy. Uh, he's in South Carolina Department of Corrections, and he's he's currently in lockup there. 
And uh, we looked him up and he's, you know, his whole face is tatted up. He, you know, in the letter, he's just talking about how, you know, the the newsletter that he got, it was just inspiring and that they, that they don't get much positivity where he's at and this and that. So it's just, it's just really important for us, for my advocacy, for me to really be involved on the inside. A lot of advocacies get involved in the politics, get involved in, you know, policies and all these things. And those things are important. I'm not downplaying those things, but the, I think it's really important to have a network of people that are on the inside that we can actually speak to, because this is the important part is that if you're a senator and you're focusing on prison reform, you should know a few prisoners. If you're a criminologist and you are writing policies for prisons, you should know some prisoners. Uh, if you are a criminal lawyer, for instance, like yourself, I mean, I'm sure that you know some prisoners. So, like, it's it's to to me, it's 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 almost it's it's an oxymoron not to know them. Uh, but it's but it, that's what happens is is we we get detached from the actual people. So if we're if we're studying education, we're going to we're going to know some students. If we're a teacher, we're going to have a class full of students. So how can I be a criminologist if I don't have a group of 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 prisoners, of people that are actually affected by my policies that I can speak to? It doesn't make sense. And and that's what we do. I really like that because I think you're absolutely correct. And I think that's what you see a lot of that absence in, you know, state legislation, federal legislation, and how they treat those in the communities and the way in, that, in which they write policies and, and laws. And very little. And, and again, it's like, why would we have a former, to them, I'm imagining, it's like, why would we have a former incarcerated individual give us any, any, any kind of input? That person is, is, a, is less than. And I think because of what I do and it, because I have, like you've been talking about this whole episode, that proximity. And, and again, I, I mean, the subliminal message is really like what you're doing is amplifying uh, that proximity. You, you are creating a bigger range of accessibility to individuals who then can can relate. And it, it is with that um, comes the community for reform, because if you can't create, if you can't reach people without that proximity and the, the design of prison is to keep those inside, not only there, but fit like physically, but I think it's also then designed to like excommunicate them from the outside. And I've had other policy episodes where we've talked about how the science has proved that that alone, the, the lack of communication, physical or, you know, otherwise, even like, you know, letters and telephone calls is one of the main reasons why recidivism rates are as high as they are and how while individuals struggle as much as they do while incarcerated, it is because of the lack of being able to communicate with their loved ones' families. So I just think that that 
You know, that was something that I've never really understood why, what it was that people were missing. And I think that that was because I'm so engulfed with individuals who unfortunately have um, personal experience with incarceration that I know that. But I think that uh, that's what I've, I'm taking away from this conversation is that I, I really understand your mission. And I think that you're doing an excellent job of doing that. And that actually, I think to me, also is a good segue to one of the other articles that I found really inspiring on your blog post, and that was uh, reading is power. And I think that that helps us in what we're talking about in in spreading awareness to our goal. So why don't you give us a little breakdown as to what that article was um, about and and how it got to be posted? Yeah, well, that uh, particular article was was written by a man that's in prison. He's you know he's uh, very close to me, and um, so what what um. What is always extraordinary about prison is that you find these people throughout history that have, that have educated themselves within a prison. So there is there is the opportunity for for major change, and that's that's a um, huge part of what the article is really kind of outlining is, is different people from different eras that have that have um, you know educated themselves while in prison and used their writing abilities to to really bring uh, light to to the situation. And um, I think that that is one thing that people that are incarcerated have a huge advantage is that they they have the time to write, to think, um, to read. Uh, when in society, a lot of times uh, is you know so fast paced, and you know there's so many things to take your attention away from those things that um, a lot of people don't get the time to do that. So that, that there's a lot of talent um, that is pent up in prison to exercise those those gifts those abilities to to write you know uh because you know i mean for instance if you have 10 years or if you have 20 years or if you have five years and you start at the beginning of your time and you start learning how to write even if you didn't know how to write at all by the time you come out you could have mastered the the craft of writing and that's something that's very practical that they they can never be taken from you you know your thoughts can never be taken from you and you know writing them down you can always send it home. So it's just it's just really important um, for the people that are actually behind the walls to continue to to write. And another point that I kind of just made just now, but I really want to kind of um, get it out there is there's a there's a word that's used a lot when it comes to prison reform um, is reentry. So it's it's like whatever. And but usually reentry is thought of for like the last year, maybe two years max at the end of your time. But reentry starts upon entry. If someone has, if you're going to start reentry classes after someone has been locked up for thirteen years, thirteen years of of prison culture that they've accumulated are not going to go away in two years. But had you started these reentry programs at the beginning of their time, those things would be drilled into them by this time. I don't like to say drilled into them, but these, I mean, I like this to, to call them options, to give somebody options instead of the current situation is to throw them in a terrible environment and hope they figure it out. But if you was to give them options at the beginning instead of just at the end of their time, I think that is super important. And writing is a huge part of that. Well, I think you're doing a fantastic job. You know, again, you know, writing leads to reading. Reading leads to awareness. And 
the more people that are reading and writing and contributing to the blog, the more you're able to spread your mission. And so I, I just thought that, that that was great. And again, you know, too, I think education is is a huge key to lowering recidivism, giving people alternative options um, on decision-making and just creating a better situation for themselves. And again, I think you're providing an excellent resource for them to do that. You know, this whole episode has really been about um, how you've got to be the criminal justice and prison reformist that you are. But Nonetheless, I have to subject you to the same last question that we ask all of our guests here on Members of the Jury, and that is, what is the significance of taking matters to the box mean to you? Um, just, you know, like I, like, I, like I said earlier, and I guess it's, it's the ongoing theme is those relationships, man, is that we're all, is that we're all a part of this society, and um, it's important for us to 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 make those connections to those people that we don't you know we got to sit beside the people that we won't usually sit beside you know we got to we got to do something different we can't always just do everything that looks or sounds or walks or talks like us um so it's important to find um that those things that that you know that that we need to get close to that aren't like us. So I, I just, I just think relationships are really important. I don't know. If, I know I messed that all up, but, I, but relationships are important. And as a society, we have to learn how to use the resources that we have to build new relationships and not just, you know, with our neighbors or with our families, uh, but rather with, you know, someone across town or someone in a bad situation or someone that's not as, um, I don't know, as blessed or as wealthy or as educated as you, like, you know, just finding these different, these different parts of society that need our help. I think that's important. I love that because, you know, statistics show that a bulk of those who are incarcerated come from marginalized communities of poor, uneducated or communities of color. And I think at the core of every reformist is the desire to be a voice for the voiceless. And again, I think that that's you're you're, give, you're creating an excellent platform for more voices to be heard, to be listened to, and for the message to be understood that then leads to hopefully change. David, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate your time and your experiences. Uh, we wish you the best in all your future endeavors. Well, members of the jury, that's our show, and I rest my case. Be sure to come back next episode as we take another matter to the box. If you're a fan of the show, go ahead and subscribe. You can also find us on social media at members of the jury. If you want to be a guest or have any feedback, be sure to email us at lhursty at membersofthejurypod.com. The information in this podcast is provided as general reference work as a public service. 
The audience is advised to check for changes to current laws and to consult with a qualified attorney on any legal issue. The use of this material does not create an attorney-client privilege in any fashion with the podcast, the host, or the guest. This information is for educational purposes only, and no one affiliated with the podcast may be held liable for any decision made based on this information.